Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, April 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a civil rights watchdog is holding accountable three Mississippi hospitals accused of violating a federal law designed to protect patients who are poor. Don't throw your old unused prescription drugs in the trash. There's a better option. Find out what it is. And after your health minute, more than 100 fishermen from around the country will be in Mississippi this week. Hear how this is an instance in which gaining weight is a very good thing. It's always cumulative weight. Thursday, Friday, Saturday's fish will determine who fishes on Sunday. It's the cumulative weight. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hospitals in Mississippi are in violation of a federal law designed to protect low-income patients. That's according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. The center's Sarah Zamperine says tax-exempt hospitals are required to notify patients who are poor that financial assistance is available. She says three hospitals in Mississippi are failing to do just that, as she explains to MPB's Mark Rigsby. Hospitals that have 501c3 status, a nonprofit status with the IRS, are required to comply with federal regulations that make available their financial assistance policies um, and certain information about those policies to their patients. So um, patients have a right to know how they can qualify for financial assistance and um, the ways that they can apply for that assistance. Um, and, and really the IRS regulations make it so that these uh, hospitals that benefit from their tax-exempt status um, are making sure that they are providing care to the most vulnerable members of their community. Sarah, how was this discovered? We received uh, complaints from a few people that low-income people who weren't able to pay for medical bills they had obtained uh, at hospitals and weren't sure what to do about it. They were being sued or they were suffering from um, from negative marks on their credit reports, and they didn't know... Um, what to do about it. So we looked into the regulations and saw that a number of hospitals had these policies available but weren't making them uh, widely known to their patient populations, and so patients weren't able to take advantage of, of these policies. Having these policies and having these policies in place so that the public can know about them, that's the law, right? It is. Then why aren't these hospitals doing this? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, and it is our hope that these hospitals will come into compliance and, and make these policies widely available to their patients. We've reached out to these six hospitals asking them to bring their policies into compliance, and we hope that we can work with them to do that. Is your issue with these hospitals more about having the policies in place or having those policies within public view? It's both. Uh, the regulations are clear that you must make these policies widely available and widely known and that before taking any sort of collection actions like filing a lawsuit or reporting it to a credit reporting agency, uh, you should assess whether or not the patient is eligible and make sure that they, that they know about those policies, I, either through uh, notifications in public areas or through a statement on their, on their billing statement. Uh, so I, I think that is an important piece of of compliance with these regulations and really important so that patients know that they can access medically necessary care without going into debt. As we both know, the price of health care can be, you know, expensive at times. Um, what's wrong with a hospital trying to collect the money that's owed to them? 
nothing's wrong with a hospital uh, attempting to collect money, but if a hospital is benefiting from um, tax-exempt regulations because they provide care to their communities um, and have these financial assistance policies available, they should also comply with the regulations that require them to to tell people about the policies. It shouldn't just be that those that are able to find the information somehow can benefit while others um, who visited the emergency room in a time of need can't access that sort of care. Is the Southern Poverty Law Center really going tooth and nail after these six hospitals? Uh, or you want to twist their arm into trying to get them to comply? You want to be a thorn in their side? What, what's the end game here? What, what do you want to see happen? We truly hope that the hospitals um, come into compliance and voluntarily uh, make the fixes necessary to ensure that people uh, know about these policies and can access uh, reduced or free care. Um, and we think that uh, that these hospitals, and we hope that these hospitals will do that. Um, like I said, I think four of the six hospitals already had some sort of policy that we were able to find. Um, and so mainly it's just about making sure that they cover all of the required uh, policies, that all the required regulations and have all of the information and are really making sure that people know about them and that before any sort of collections actions are taken, uh, people have an opportunity to apply for uh, assistance. And what if they do not comply? What's, what's the next step? We intend to file um, complaints with the IRS if any of the hospitals do not come into compliance. Uh, and that is, is something that is outlined in the regulations that the IRS can take action against hospitals that don't comply with these regulations. Uh, best case scenario, the hospitals comply, all of their policies are up to date and they're available for public view. What does this mean for patients that have no insurance or are underinsured? It would mean that hopefully all patients know that they can apply for these financial assistance policies and will know all of the relevant timelines uh, to do so. And we'll know what will happen if they, if they don't do so, what collections actions might be taken against them and how they can prevent that if they truly qualify for the policies in place. What type of qualifications are needed to get assistance? It is mainly based on income level. The policies that we've seen from the four hospitals uh, that had policies available were based on, on income and had Many of them had a sliding scale, uh, so some had reduced care if, if people made a little bit more income but were still uh, under-resourced and couldn't afford the care that was provided. So, uh, And some required um, some documentation that income. Others just required an application. It depended on the hospital. So is it the hospitals that decide what the threshold is for meeting those requirements or since the hospitals have to comply with something that – uh, has to do with the federal government, the IRS, then it's a, a, a benchmark that's across the board. This is the amount of income that you have to have or not have uh, to get assistance. Uh, most of that is, is up to the individual hospital to decide what their eligibility criteria will be. Sarah, thank you very much for being on Mississippi Edition with us. Thank you. That was Sarah Zamperine talking with our MPB's Mark Rigsby. The hospitals probed in Mississippi are McGee General Hospital in McGee, North Mississippi Medical Center in West Point, and Scott Regional Hospital in Morton. None of them responded to our requests for comment. 
coming up. The National Take Back Initiative encourages Mississippians to drop off old or unused prescription drugs at local police stations this Saturday. Find out why. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio loves to help with lots of subjects, but between 9 and 10 on Wednesday mornings, we focus on your nest. On Fix It 101, we want to help you make your place safer, quieter, drier, brighter, bigger, cooler, cozier, or the opposite of any of those things, depending on your preference. The pros are Del Moore of Affordable Solutions 601 and Jeff Sammons of Houseworks. I'm the amateur and host, Jason Klein. So go ahead and ask away. Fix It 101 is Wednesdays at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians can drop off old or unused prescription drugs at local police stations across the state this Saturday as part of a national take-back initiative. Twice a year, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration partners with police to collect and destroy unused prescriptions. Daniel Como, Como is with the DEA in Mississippi. He discourages people from throwing pills in the trash. Como tells MPB's Desiree Frazier disposing of prescription drugs properly can help prevent abuse. This is a great opportunity for the public and citizens of Mississippi and actually throughout the United States to come and uh, dispose of any outdated or unused pharmaceutical drugs and expose them properly. We will take care of them and we will destroy them uh, in a proper manner. When you say dispose of them in a proper manner, you mean you just can't put them in the wastebasket? No, we definitely... uh, don't want you putting it in a wastebasket or flushing them down the toilet. You know, there's there's numerous things that's wrong with that, especially, you know, like a wastebasket, for instance, or just throwing them in the trash. That can easily, you know, you can become an unknown dope dealer, essentially. You have kids or other others come behind you, and they can take those uh, pills and use them inappropriately. Do you find that people do go through the trash to look for drugs? Unfortunately, when you're addicted and you're an addict, you'll do anything and go through a lot of measures to get what you need. Are you finding that this is a serious issue, that there are people that have a lot of prescription medications um, that they don't know what to do with and they just hold on to them? Yeah, definitely it is. But since this program has started, we've collected over seven tons of uh, prescription pills. So you know, oftentimes, if you think back, you look in your medicine cabinet and you go through it, you know, there's a lot of times there's uh, medicine in there that you didn't complete taking or no longer needed, and it just sits there. And so rather than just let it sit there, you know, let's get out, work together as a community, and dispose of them correctly. For information, just for insight, why is it bad to flush it down the toilet because it would dissolve? Well, all of that water is eventually recycled again. You know, the proper thing is for environmental purposes is not to flush it down the toilet. What do you guys do with them? Basically, put it in simple terms, we burn it. You burn it. So when you burn it, what's left? There's nothing left. It is so hot in this big barrel, there's nothing that remains. And so tell us, how is this coordinated? Is it done by region, or does every state like Mississippi have a place where DEA is going to burn everything that they collect? Yes, we have a location. Uh, everything that's collected here in Mississippi will be destroyed properly by DEA. So in Mississippi, what are the main sites where this is taking place? Well, the main location uh, 
in Jackson, Mississippi, will be uh, at the outlet mall. Uh, uh, there's a little area adjacent to the food court. Matter of fact, you don't even have to get out of your vehicle. We'll have agents posted up there. And if you drive up uh, on the back side of the outlet mall by the food court, we'll have someone there to uh, take the drugs from you. Also, at most of your police departments, there's a drop disposal box for pharmaceutical drugs. So you can go to your police department. There's also a box there that you can dispose of them. So anybody have any drugs, they can bring them into their local law enforcement office on Saturday? Any of these pharmaceutical drugs. There's uh, various uh, departments that have them. And also, if you go to DEA's website, DEA.gov, there's a list of locations there where the uh, participating police departments are, are there. Can you talk a little bit about the implications of this, what it means? Well, this is just a safe way to, to destroy the drug. And then we're keeping them, uh, you know, hopefully out of the hands of those that they don't belong in. Uh, you know, drugs are a wonderful thing when it's used correctly for medicine, prescribed to those individuals that need them for medical purposes. If it's not used uh, for the proper medical purposes, then obviously it's not good. So we just want to assist in getting rid of those and um, destroy them properly. Opioids uh, specifically are becoming a major uh, concern nationwide and also in Mississippi as um, abusive drugs. Are you finding that you are able to curb that through this type of project? Well, I'm not quite sure if there's a study out there that shows whether or not it curves it or not. But clearly, if we take opioids in and they're not hitting the streets, it's helping and it's being uh, doing some success by doing that. On that note, are you finding that fentanyl is uh, a growing concern here? Absolutely. Uh, it's very unfortunate, but you have fentanyl and then you also have uh, synthetic fentanyl, which has caused a numerous overdose because the amount of fentanyl that it takes overdose is very, very little. And uh, some, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, some might think they're dealing with heroin and it's actually fentanyl, which causes an overdose. So they could get pure fentanyl and not heroin? It is possible. Uh, you know, fentanyl comes over and they don't realize that it's fentanyl instead of heroin, and it definitely will cause an overdose. Como says last fall they collected nearly 2,600 pounds of prescription drugs in Mississippi. Coming up, Mississippi will host over 100 of the best bass fishermen in the world this weekend. Hear how you can see them in action. That's after a health minute with Dr. Rick. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Kansas City was a, a huge emotional experience for Willie. He had written the book Yazoo about uh, the integration of a deep southern town. From the 70s onward was when true integration really existed within Mississippi. And it just so happened that that was the era in which I matriculated through schools. And I didn't realize this at the time, but I was really brought up in a utopia. Yazoo Revisited, Friday night at 8 on MPB TV. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Let's go to Vicksburg. Hey, Carol. Hi, Dr. Rick. I was walking in the door several weeks ago, I think it was three weeks ago, and someone had asked about shingles vaccine. Mm -hmm. And you were answering their question and said, now you don't want to take it if you're on such-and-such a medication. Right. Uh, Can you go over that? Sure, I'd be pleased to do it. The shingles vaccine is really quite effective for preventing the recurrence of chickenpox infection, which in adults presents as a terribly painful condition called shingles, as you know. And the big thing about shingles is the pain can become chronic and disabling. This is a live virus I mean, the virus is really live chickenpox virus, as opposed to the usual vaccines that we use in kids that are usually either dead or highly attenuated. This thing is attenuated, but if you're immune suppressed at the time that you get this, you can actually get disseminated herpes, which is these blisters all over the place. So anybody who is on cancer chemotherapy, anybody who is on corticosteroids, prednisone or similar for asthma or other problems, any kind of uh, patient with a connective tissue disease like rheumatoid arthritis, its own methotrexate or other or these biologics like Remicade, you should not take that. It should have been given to you before you started those. We try to immunize all the people that are going to go on any kind of immunosuppressive medicine before they go on it because there's an increased risk of getting shingles once you're on a biologic thing like Enbrel or Remicade. And it's one time only, right? Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Great to talk to you, Carol. We appreciate your call. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians have a chance to see the best 110 bass fishermen in the world this week. The Bassmasters Elite Series Tournament starts this Thursday at the Ross Barnett Reservoir in Ridgeland. The top pros will weigh in their catches in hopes of winning a $100,000 prize. Starting Saturday, the State Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks will also host its Outdoor Expo at the Res with many hands-on events for children, live music and food vendors. All events run through the weekend. Bobby Cleveland is a Barnett Reservoir Foundation event coordinator. He tells us the types of fish located in lakes across the state. Different lakes have different targeted species uh, or or at least are known for that specific species, although I think every lake has all of the, you know, catfish, bass, brim, um, crappie possibilities, but I think each one has developed its own character. 
Um, like it's really difficult to have a trophy bass lake and a trophy brim lake at the same time because one is a prey fish and you know one is a predator. So, uh, but outstanding fishing statewide and um, you know and, and most of it is it, it, public waters and, and within a short drive of everybody's house. The uh, Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks has a great system of state lakes and state park lakes that they thoroughly and intense intensively manage for fish production and quality experience is more of what they're looking for. And um, um, it's, it's unbelievable how good it is. And, like, I live in Jackson, and there's not a state lake within, say, 40 miles of the city of Jackson. But if I drive within an hour, I can expand. I mean, like 60 or 70 miles. We actually, in one day, did a story where we fished seven or eight of those lakes in one day. Um, spending like an hour or two at each lake. So there, there's something within driving range for everybody in, in outstanding fishing. Now, wait a minute. I'm a novice, and I, I've i never heard of brim. Is brim, that what's bluegill? Bluegill. Okay. A, brim is a uh, term that captures or covers the entire sunfish family, or panfish is what they're more commonly referred gotcha. to. Gotcha. And that's your bluegill, your uh, red-eared uh, sunfish, um, you know, your uh, there's red bellies, uh, yellow bellies. I mean, they all have names and nicknames. Everybody calls them like one fish, the red ear, which is my favorite one to catch, is also known as a shell cracker down on the coast. Um, and if you go uh, uh, up in North Mississippi, it's a chinky pin. Um, <laughs> but it has a red opercular flap around the edge of its gill, so it gets the nickname red ear. Uh, because it looks like an ear, although it's just really a flap on the on the gill plate. But um, um, I mean, they all have they all are, uh, have nicknames, and and they all have big legions of, of of fans that chase them. Now, the bass. The reason the the bass tournament is here is that is the one fish that really has become a competitive type fish, uh, where people compete against each other. When actually they're competing against the fish, but they compete against each other too, and um, you know, and they're talking about a hundred thousand dollar top prize next week. This is not, this is the big leagues of bass fishing. These are the best 110 fishermen in the in the country or in the world, for that matter, for for largemouth bass. These are the guys that you see on the commercials on TV, uh, the ones that you see on the ESPN two shows, which they will film here. They will film an episode on this tournament here. Uh, these are the big guys. These are the ones in all the outdoor magazines. These are the ones that win the big money. There's guys that have won, you know, several, several million dollars over their career. There are uh, going to be three from Mississippi who are going to be entered, and two of those three are over the million dollars in career earning marks. Uh, this is the big league. This is the big boys. Is the winner determined strictly by the weight of the bass? Yes. There's a limit every day that a fisherman can weigh in. They can have five fish. They all must exceed, because of our regulations on reservoir, they must exceed 14 inches to be legal, and they get five a day. And at the end of the day, they get a cumulative weight for those five fish. Then they get, uh, after the second day, they'll have a two-day total. And then they'll cut it to the top 50 pros. Each one of those 50 is guaranteed a payment of $10,000. That will be their prize winnings. Um, then on 
Saturday, after Saturday's competition, they'll cut those 50 down to the top 12, and only those 12 will fish on Sunday. But it's always cumulative weight. Thursday, Friday, Saturday's fish will determine who fishes on uh, Sunday. It's the cumulative weight. Wonderful time. Bobby Cleveland, event coordinator for the Barnett Reservoir Foundation. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you, Karen. This, this will be the first Elite Series event in the state of Mississippi. There are many other uh, activities associated with this event. So for more information, visit barnettreservoirfoundation.org. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.